there is a point of so-called Christian, not only Christian wisdom, to which I'm totally opposed. I'm generally opposed wisdom. I think wisdom is the most disgusting thing you can imagine. Wisdom is the most conformist thing you can imagine. Wisdom is this, you know, whatever you do, a wise man will come and justify it, you know. Like, you do something risky and you succeed. There will, come, there will be a wise man who will come and say something like, I don't know, we in Slovene, we have a proverb, maybe you have a similar one, only those who risk profit and so on and so on. Let's say you do the same thing but fail. A wise man will come and he will say something like, in Slovene we had a vulgar saying, which says, you cannot urinate against the wind or something like that. You know, this is wisdom. Whatever you do, a wise guy will come and... Uh, and wisdom, you know, but, but, I but it's so interesting that um, a philosopher should be against wisdom. We all are. I mean, your Kierkegaard knew this. Kierkegaard was anti-wise man par excellence. Wisdom is pagan. Liquid. Okay, no, not going to my Stalinist stuff. But what I want to do, once <laughs> I made a mental experiment, if you don't believe me. Uh, let's take, I will say something. I will say, I don't know how to say it, I'm too ironic with all this pathos, you know. Why are we, uh, why are we running after these uh, miserable earthly pleasures? Think about eternity. The only satisfaction is eternity. If I were to say it with proper pathos, it would sound a deep thing to say. It, okay. did, it sounded... It now, did, let's yeah. say the opposite. Why run after the specter of eternity? Carpe diem, grasp what you have here. It sounds wise. Now I will say the third option. Why be caught in a contrast between eternity and temporary existence? The true wisdom is to see eternity in fleeting temporary pleasures. It is wise. Then I say the fourth variation. We are forever condemned between the two. A wise man accepts this. You know, whatever I say, that's my point. You can sell it as a wisdom. This is a wisdom. And if from no one else, from your Kierkegaard, you can learn this, that whatever Jesus Christ was, he wasn't a wise guy. He was a provocative man. He was a pro provocative madman. Jesus Christ wasn't a wise guy. He was a pro provocative madman. I think he's pro it's probably a compliment in this respect. So he's saying his big statement is wisdom is, dis is disgusting. And it's the most disgusting thing. It's the most conformist thing. And, uh, and why is it conformist? Because a man can come and interpret any situation along, uh, along idealistic lines. Uh, uh, ideological lines and he can say you risked too much when you fail and when you succeed he said well you can you well you risked that's why you succeeded you know and you can you can have like an armchair quarterback or a Monday morning quarterback perception on any event or uh, you know calamity or whatnot and then he he goes on to like give these examples of how you could take something something really vague and you know later he talks about like the necessity to um how does he say it the necessity to um uh 
leave an undefined dimension to meaning, right? Like he, he, he gives this example. He says like, uh, you know, between eternity and, and the temporal world, like there's different ways you could look at it and how you should live. You should live for eternity or you should live for the temporal world, carpe diem, or you should, uh, you shouldn't be uh, you shouldn't be plagued by the contrast. You should find the eternal in the temporal and find the temporal in the eternal. And then he said, like the the fourth way is that uh, a, a wise man just understands that you're condemned to this, you're condemned to this, and you embrace you embrace the fact that you're pulled between eternity and the temporal world. And he he says like each of these you could see as a wisdom. And uh, I asked my wife, I played that for her. She came down maybe an hour ago and I played that for her. And I asked like, what, what is he saying about wisdom there? Like, what do you think about that? And she said, well, I don't, I don't see why he has a problem with wisdom. Like, aren't all of those true? And I agreed with her. Like, all four of those takes on reality are true. Huh. That like, why, why are you running... Why are you running after like temporary fleeting things? You know, why don't you like find the things that last or the things that count or the ideal, you know, or why don't you sow, you know, sow treasures in heaven? You know, why don't you lay up treasures in heaven? Why don't you think about, you know, the universals and all these ways of looking at, you know, instead of being stuck wrapped around the axle, something super temporary and miserable, think about the things that are big. Like that, at some point in a person's life, that is a wisdom, right? And then at another point, it's the other way around. Like a person's head is in the clouds and they need to carpe diem. They need to, they need to embrace this. They need to put their hands in the soil and work and be honest, hardworking people. And they need to enjoy their daily life and enjoy the, the you know, the, they need to enjoy the, the, um, uh, not the monotony, but like I have my everyday what do you call it? My everyday routine? routine, enjoying routine, enjoying things that other people continue, you know, concern, consider, uh, don't, um, uh, mundane or like even, you know, something like with raising kids, you can easily like just, you can just easily not enjoy their life, you know, and you could be thinking about, you know, the universals, you know, you can miss their life. Yeah. And then like, then the third and fourth anyways, I don't want to keep going through this, but like, to me, it's like, her point is a good one, like that wisdom should be some kind of manifold, you know, um, is aggregate a good word for it? Like it's an aggregate uh, understanding of time and space. Like it, it, it has, it, you could pile wisdom up. It, it, you can't use all wisdoms at the same time, but you can essentially yeah. pile them up. And it would be, it would be strange to think that you could figure it out. But it's at least, to me, it's at least obvious that some things are wise at some points in time and not wise at others, right? And then, like, what does that say? So this is one question I have tonight. I have two questions. But one is, like, what is he saying about wisdom? What is real wisdom and what is he talking about? Like, why is he disgusted with that? Why do you think he's disgusted with that? I thought it was interesting that uh, that you said wisdom should be like this manifold thing, right? Um, but from the dawn of Western philosophy, 
which in Greek means love of wisdom. So it, it is kind of interesting that a philosopher would hate wisdom. Um, but like the beginning of that study in the Western tradition is with Plato and the Socratic dialogues. They're going back and forth. And uh, one of the things he said when he was declared the wisest man in Greece or whatever was, uh, you know, perhaps I'm wise because I know that I don't really know anything. You know? So, there's this idea that wisdom is a philosophy, you know, love of wisdom, is a process of discussion and picking apart and understanding things. But what he's portraying as this despicable kind of wisdom is like a pat, you know, application of a phrase. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just, like, slap that on there, like we said the other week, you know throw it over top of, of whatever situation so you don't really have to look at it and examine it and think about it. So it's... They're both called wisdom, but it's different. There's, one is a pat answer and the other is a, a process of, of understanding. So the dialectic is... A, that's a different way of arriving at wisdom because you're really... Epistemically speaking... You're you're saying I don't know anything, so let's discuss like the thing that we could probably know, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. let's see if we can find a skill between the two of us concerning this part of life or this big question or something. Yeah. So the dialectic is very different than what he's talking about. Right. And and a di and the dialectic is I don't really know. Like I think it's up for discussion, and let's talk about it because I don't really know. Yeah. And what he's saying is the wise man, the quote unquote wise man, comes in and says, "I know." Right. right? It's not just like it, it, I think you're right. I think it's a blanket. It's a it's a pat blanket for a situation, but I think it's also a there's a a part of it is the pride of the claim that the phrase is somehow a transcendent value that you've acquired yeah that you this value for the event or the take on the event or the take on the you know the direction this person's life should go you know this like higher view that you're bringing in and placing on someone else yeah which is possible you'd have to admit and i think zizek would admit that it's possible that someone could have information from you know from an an upper dimension or another, you know, another field of view that would help us with growth or with human furtherance. I mean, that's an obvious thing. So he's not denying that there's not transcendent knowledge or understanding. It's well, this kind of cheap, I think yeah. he's saying this like, like prideful, you know, a declaration of a take ascribed to a situation, you know, and like the fact that two people can come to the same event and say this is good and the other person say this is bad for these wise reasons right makes the whole scene kind of disgusting like he's saying yeah like why are you trying to do this in the first place and why are they saying that they're saying that because they ascribe wisdom to the reason rather than the process that arrives at that conclusion right yeah so yeah it, um man it's almost like like verbal magic it's like I have this little bag of proverbs, you know, I have the runes, and watch as I cast my proverbs before you and pick one out with my finger, Yeah. and you know, this is magic, Yeah. because these are fancy sounding phrases, and you awe the, 
the masses. It's a sacred know. thing that someone would stumble upon a wisdom. Like a real wisdom to me is a sacred thing. And he's saying like it's 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 profane to think of to think of wisdom this way. Huh. It's like what I was saying, like it's an aggregate or 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 you could say like wisdom you could you could take all the examples of things that of wise sayings that aided people's life, right? You could take all of those instances in human history and you could categorize them and you could find you could take the statements and you could put them in their categories and you could find the paradoxes, right? And you could just kind of leave them. You could you, you know, you could make a pebble for every wisdom wise statement and you could write the event on the pebble and write the wise statement if it could be done that way. Right. And you could pile them all up, you know. If they actually had a, you know, a profound effect, you know, in giving someone a, a direction or a skill for their for their decision making or it could be like an accurate like you know it could be a from the transcendent view it could be an accurate take on an event that had just happened something like well when you risk when you risk that way you're bound to get caught at some point you know like he said yeah. so you could take all of these like a giant aggregate you could pile it up you know you could pile it up all the particulates of wisdom and you could and, and the prideful thing to do would be the situation in front of me thinking that I would pick out the right one, right. you know, or that I could find the right one, you know, by my own, by my own hand, I could find the right one. Whereas like just by chance or just by the limits of my own mind, I could fall, I could, I could like, I could stumble upon just the wisdom that relates to it that I like the most, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think this is that cheap thing. Like I could buy like some, you know, Confucian, uh, uh, proverb calendar, you know, tear off calendar. And it could just so happen kind of like a, a horoscope, this horoscope. It could just so happen that, you know, let's see if this makes a sound. Yeah. Just so <laughs> I tear off January 1st. It's the new year. I tear off the label and, uh, and it just so happens that this piece of wisdom you know, like relates to my day in some way, just by right. coincidence, you know, yeah. like a fortune cookie or a horoscope. <laughs> and I take it as a wisdom for my life. It's disgusting, you know, and the fact that, you know, it's not, it's not disgusting that I would be edified by something random, right. but it's disgusting that I would think that what he's saying, I would think that it is, what does he think about wisdom? He thinks that these people declaring these things to be wisdom are saying that they are, somehow the take on right. that situation this is the take you know right. when you when you lose big it's because you risk too much well the other guy could come in the room and say how the hell is that the take you know how could that be the take yeah when so look at all these people that risked like so that's obviously and then you enter the dialectic right yeah so it so i think that's what he disagrees with is the fact that that you know that a man would claim that it's the take on something and we had the example the last time we talked about this in Proverbs 16. There are these two verses right next to each other. I believe it's verse 3 and 4. It's, um, it's answer a fool according to his folly, you know, lest he succumb to it. Lest he, how does it go? Is it wise in his own conceit? Lest he becomes wise in his own conceit. Yeah. And then the other one right next to that verse is answer a fool according to his folly. And the next verse is... Don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you end up like him. Right. So it's like, how do I know the difference between the two? And it's amazing that 
that scripture has these two verses right next to them, right next to each other. It kind of defies that, you know, that prideful, you know, uh, um, like thinking you've appropriated the take on how a man should answer a fool or not answer a fool, you know? Yeah. So anyways, so, so, uh, he goes into this thing about Job afterward. Do we want to say anything else about that portion of it? I think what Andrew said about wisdom being a process uh, more than it is um, an end result or an idea, I think that's like an interesting thing to consider. Like for someone to say the four statements he made are wisdom is to kind of disrespect the process. Right. And I think what we take issue with is the fact that um, whittling your way through that process and squirming around in that process and trying to appropriate those four statements to different situations and experiences and seasons is part of what we think wisdom is. Um, it's like it's like taking taking one of those four statements and and trying to see. Uh, you know, how true is it for me now, in in the now, right now? And maybe the other three aren't, but wisdom also says, like, don't throw those out just because they don't apply to you right now mm, because right. they have value in themselves. So yeah. I like what you said about it's it's a it's a process more than it is an end result of having some kind of transcendent take on life that's better than everyone else's. Right. And I think, like uh, Dave saying on the dialectic and forming ideas together the socratic dialogue i think those are um really important points to be made and i think this is what leads to imbalance is when i can't appreciate the things that don't apply to me right now right like i'm unbalanced why because that doesn't apply to me so it must be wrong it's like no that doesn't apply to you but it doesn't make it wrong it might even apply to you in five years and i've seen that in my own life i've I've choked on my own words you know, uh, realizing five years down the road, the very thing that I used to think was not wisdom is wisdom right now. And my, my pops used to talk about being a man of all seasons. Huh. It was a rap he used to do with the teenagers at the church in Woburn. And he would say, he went through all the, I think it's 28 seasons in Ecclesiastes 3. And he said, like, a man who is mature is not someone who masters you know, masters a an idea or a doctrine or a teaching. He's someone who can adapt to each season and find God in every season of his existence. And I always thought that was really cool. Like, what is a man of all seasons? He's someone who can recognize the wisdom that isn't directly applying to him right now, but he doesn't throw it away. It's almost like it's on hold. Huh. And he can use it at another time. The same way, like, Dave is a carpenter. He doesn't say all tools are rubbish because I can't use them to hang sheetrock. He says, like, I use the tools that I have right now that I need for sheetrock, and all those other tools have other uses. And right. at, maybe at a certain point, I'll use them. Right, Dave? Like, yeah. there could be a point where you would need a tool that you actually didn't think you'd ever need. But for that moment, it's wisdom. And to throw it away is, is to not be equipped for the moment that you needed it for. This is an excellent point. I love this point because it, it goes back to this idea of, of, of it being like particulate individual um, um, uh, like uh, not visitations, but like ha- 
like uh, an epiphany is that you would have you would have a brush with uh, an epiphany is that you would have a brush with higher wisdom. Like right. if someone stumbles upon like you know an algorithm that would uh, that would you know you know uh, produce AI, right? Like that epiphany that they would have, like it feels like you've, uh, like you've, like Einstein's statement about dipping a teacup in the ocean of divine knowledge. Like he said, like uh, I'm not that smart. I just I I feel like I was able to dip my teacup in God's knowledge. You know, yeah. like I I feel like the the particulate is the particulate of wisdom. The fact that like your dad said that there would be a tool in the toolbox. That I know, I know I've felt that, and I know that that thing is wise. That way of looking at this type of situation, like it's almost like an epiphany in that sense. Like that you've that by some means, by the dialectic or by divine means, I've I've come to understand life, this or life or this type of decision or this type of situation this way, and it and it happens to be. It happens to work, and it happens to be edifying, and it happens to bring me joy or well-being or lead me out of the hole or lead someone else out of the hole or whatever. The problem is, is going back to what he's saying and what that example in Proverbs is, when I have a situation um, where like there's two tools that I know have worked in this situation, and they're completely opposite, right? Like with regard to eternity... You know, like you, I've got four tools here, time and eternity, and which applies now. And the, the, the big question is, the wise men come from every direction for Job and saying like, this applies, this applies. And, and I, you know, I've got these pebbles, like these, you know, these particulates of wisdom and which one, which tool or which pebble applies to my life right now. It's essentially like infinitely subjective problem. Yeah. And I was just saying that my point was that wisdom is to not, if I think I have the right tool, yeah. it's to not disregard the other tools yeah, that do, are present. That's a great point. That's what I'm saying. Is it's like, a great point. If you, in that subjective process, if you decide this is the tool for the situation, mm-hmm. not demonizing the other tools or saying they're useless, but yeah. recognizing I might need that later. I see. Because Zizek is saying like, the fact that there's four tools means everyone's lying. And I'm saying, no, it means that everyone has a tool that worked at some point for them. And yeah. I was thinking when he was yeah. speaking, a wealthy man and a poor man who both tried to start a business. Hmm. Both of them took a risk and one guy got burnt and he ate his, you know, he ate the pavement. And the other guy is Donald Trump or, well, not, that's a bad example because <laughs> he got a, a large loan. But let's say someone else who's very wealthy and started out of you know you know started with nothing that guy took the same risk as the guy who ate the pavement and yeah. he just it didn't turn out the same way so to say like those statements that Zizek is using directly like to say that those aren't those aren't true and they're not he said there is no real wisdom real wisdom is like democratic Stalin I think it's what he said um, like it's impossible but I would say like no for that guy it was wisdom and for that guy it wasn't but to say yeah. that it it's void because it didn't work for both parties i think is a dishonest way to look he at doesn't it. i don't think he says it's void and i don't think he says he's saying that those phrases are non-existent or like not valuable like i think what he's saying 
So I think what he's call him disgusting. If he what thinks. he's saying is like this prideful declaration of a take. So you think it's the this the uh, attitude you have towards the statement? Yeah, the fact that that is is wisdom is impossible because I feel I feel the pathos like he was saying like with pathos I feel the gravity of all four statements, and I feel their usefulness. And what you're saying is it's useful. All four ways are useful. And I think he's saying it too. They're all useful. He's giving it as a, as a, as a thought experiment. He's not saying these things aren't useful. He's saying like they're not this higher thing. This higher thing doesn't exist. He's saying like they're useful and they're particulates of usefulness, but they are not. The wise man can't come and say this is the way. You so know? when he says there's no such thing as wisdom, it's like democratic Stalin. What do you think he means? Like he's that, saying like the no guy that comes in. Wisdom. That's what he's saying, I think. And we would, I would, maybe I would agree with him in one sense. Not that the wisdom come doesn't come from a transcendent place, but that the inherent paradoxical nature of wisdoms paired together right next to each other makes them brings them down from this from each of them being you you can't have each of them be you know overarchingly true right they can't be they're tools right which right. is what you're saying i think he's saying the same thing this overarching take is disgusting so what disgusts him is that someone would say there's only one tool for the job or that they it's would my tool right or that, that they would apply it to your life it's like the, the other guy didn't apply it that way he applied right. something else so so okay you know, i see what you're saying go I mean, away I, I didn't really get that but you probably are right i, I got more of it he thought the whole idea of it was was non-existent hmm. yeah he he but maybe i the, well the idea that they are that that you can bring in an overarching take I think that he's thinking that's impossible and, and, and it's garbage to do to other people. Well, like to, so you're saying to like impose, impose your perspective as wisdom for someone else whose experience you're not acquainted with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and like he says later, like meaning must have an undefined dimension. He says at the end of this clip and he says later, like in the Job portion that wisdom brings in greater meaning. This is a kind of a different discussion, and maybe we can talk about it a little, but it might be a part two, is like wisdom comes in and says, this is what this event means in your life. This is what this means. Huh. Like rather than doing that, a humble man, a really wise man will, will say um, there, there's an undefined thing here. I don't know what's going on here. There's chance there's there's the future there's a past that i don't have i know i can't have an accurate recollection of like i'm not sure if i have the gear to go forward i need to find it let's talk like the dialectic would be useful at this point right yeah. and and he's saying like the undefined part must be kept near and must be intact like if i don't if i don't make sure that that meaning in my life has some kind of undefined dimension then I've like, then I've put my life in a box when I don't know anything about it in a sense. I don't know anything for sure about my own life. Yeah. You know, very little. I think this is a little bit of what I was trying to get at with the idea that it's a, a magical take on things. Because mm. in magic, they take the unknown and they try to put it in boxes and control it and use incantations to yeah. summon a certain, you know. It's this very silly idea that by some emotional spiritual means i can control the material world around me and it gives a sense of security 
that's like magic. Yeah. It's not just like top hats and wands. Yeah. You know? I feel that way about classical apologetics. Yeah. That's what People disturbs want to me. Con- Point and the... click. Yeah, well yeah. it's yeah. it's it's almost I... Oh a sleight of hand you used to talk about this yeah, like a sleight of like, hand, yeah. Like here's your argument. And then they like they clap their hands and move to the right, and there's no more argument left. Yeah. And you have a person sitting there, who that argument meant a lot to, and they're going, "No, my argument's still there." And they're like, "Nope," because I was able to, you know, logically, you know, pick it apart. Right. And here's my magic, my magic answer, like you're <laughs> yeah. saying. And I, I mean, I actually was just talking to a guy in seminary before I came here. And he's online in school, and I'm online in school. And I said, I asked him, are things getting clearer since you started this degree or more blurry? He yeah. said, more blurry. <laughs> and I said, me too. It's weird. Like, you start out in a degree to get answers, kind of the same way maybe we started Moravia Project. Yeah. To, like, try to help people find answers. That was a big thump. That was quite a thump. Keep going. You were, we started this thing to to find answers. I just wanted answer, to make sure to someone didn't just answers. die upstairs. <laughs> um, we we might have started this to try to help people find answers, but it might be that years down the road of of thinking these things through and talking about them back and forth with each other, we might find ourselves having less answers now than we started with, and less solutions for people's problems, and more just an understanding ear and a lack of magic. Mm. And maybe a lack of magic doesn't seem cool if you're into classical apologetics or into philosophy that solves puzzles. But to the honest seeking heart that has doubts, it can be healing not to have magic. To just say, yeah. like, look, I don't I don't have any answers. When we, when we first started, I, I thought nuance was an inherently negative thing. Huh. If, if a if an answer was nuanced, I thought, well, well, we've got to figure that we've out. We've got to figure out why it has so many shades. Yeah. Okay. But I, but I, I actually like find nuance to be like, uh, um, kind of like the way life is like nuance, nuance kind of like makes life beautiful and interesting. The fact that an event can be both painful and, and joyful at the same time like or that childbirth, right. Or that something can be incredibly, um, uh, confusing and somehow peaceful at the same time. I find I find the nuance of things to to be very human and very, you know, kind of fit for life. And when an answer, especially a scriptural one has has nuance, I f- I find it to be it makes sense to me that it has nuance. You know, because my mind when it wraps around it, I don't I don't like all of a sudden get like uh I don't feel like I've arrived. If I if I find any any answer, you know, about something metaphysical. I don't feel like I've arrived. It, it's not enough for me. So when something is kind of kept from me and it's nuanced, I appreciate that. And th- like you said, I feel like more and more we're finding things to be nuanced, you know. What did you, what, what do you think, Andrew? I interrupted you. Man. I just zoned out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so before we move on, before we move on, I wanted to just just kind of wrap this part up with saying like um, this point about the dialectic and this point about having two pebbles or having two tools or having two verses right next to each other about the same issue. Yeah. Like 
is there what is what is the dialectic that could happen between a person and the spirit like how, what does that look like we believe i believe all three of us believe in the holy spirit i do um and and a person like can kind of like reason with himself and he can remember and he can logically deduce and he can use inductive and deductive reasoning he can get places right with his uh um you know with his experiences with his with his base of knowledge right but then but then there's like we were saying before there's there's also the possibility that someone can brush up against another knowledge you know and yeah. and 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 the pride of thinking i know what the spirit's thinking right now is kind of strange and we've seen that go awry yeah uh in in christianity um Definitely on the public stage, we've seen that. I just watched this thing on televangelism. It was blowing my own mind. That show, the '80s, They're the you know the '60s, the '70s, the '80s on CNN. The '80s had this one uh, had this episode called "Greed Is Good," and it goes through like you know the Wall Street movie and Trump and like the mm. '80s having this just like amazing prosperity. And he went through the you know they went through the um, the televangelists, the Jim Bakers and. 700 clubs and all of that and like just played these clips of these guys saying like god wants you to you know to give a thousand dollars to this foundation and if you do it god will bless your life and multiply it and all that yeah. stuff yeah and it's it's a claim to a certain wisdom you know and i think that and he's saying like it's not just wisdom it's spiritual wisdom it's from god like it's right. wisdom for your life so like that thing of saying like I think I know what the spirit's saying right now. That's dangerous. Don't you think that we should be really um, afraid and maybe trembling to speak into someone's life? Oh yeah. From the spirit, like, like um, what you're saying. I'm talking about for me. my own life. But I'm, <laughs> I'm saying like, if if somebody is in a situation, even if I think I have an answer that will resonate with them, because I was in a similar situation. Mm -hmm. I'm at a point in my life where I, I almost like, maybe not physically, but in a, like a, a spiritual way, like I'm trembling to say to them, I think this might be helpful. Or I think that it's almost like I would rather be quiet and yeah. just watch. But the, the, the desire to fill dead air with authority that you believe you have from God and to answer somebody's nuances that mm -hmm. that maybe feel negative to you i feel like that's something i have fallen prey to many of us have and it it shows a lack of respect for the situation yeah of being fallen and finite and speaking into someone's you know uh existence and that's something like i've been thinking a lot about like when somebody comes up side by side with my life and we're both looking at the situation and they're like here and i'm here and they say, like, I think it's this. Like, that moment should be so scary for yeah. us, and it's not. Why do you think it's not? Why, are we, why aren't we afraid to, to say things like that with authority? Like, why are, maybe how's this a better way to I say think it? I, yeah. why, don't, why don't we have more um, reverence and fear when it comes to claiming authority to speak from the Spirit in situations? And is that a... Is that a like a cancerous pride in us or is it just being taught you know 
a certain measure of confidence that's maybe unfounded. I really think it's, you know, there's there's a handful of denominations in Christianity that have that as part of their culture. Um, you know, Pentecostals, Assembly of God, our church, some in the Baptist church, a little less, I think, maybe. Um, but this idea that you're supposed to hear from the Spirit for other people's lives. Growing up in the Methodist church, that was not a thing at all. You know, it was just, are you talking sense or not? Hmm. You know, there's there's a certain kind of pub wisdom that you can give to other people. Like, I'll tell you what, she's upset because you didn't get her flowers. You know, <laughs> like, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And yeah. People, and, <laughs> right. And, Com- and, common wisdom. Yeah. yeah. And people know that you can take it or leave it. And that's the kind of thing somebody's just talking out of their own. Like, what makes it bad <laughs> is when there's the presumption of divine authority behind your assessment. Right. Presumption. Yeah. I, I think presumption crosses me. a line. But but we have to what I'm asking here is like, let's just keep it to my own life. Okay. Like before I give other people suggestions, right. let's just keep it to my own life. I look at scripture and I do find I find both things. I find people in scripture being given wisdom for other people. And I find people being given wisdom for their own lives from the divine sphere. And I, the one thing I can say is that if scripture is true, then the possibility or the phenomenon of having a bead on something from the divine sphere is possible. Sure. And so you're not saying it's impossible. You're just saying that the presumption no. of go, just going around thinking you have this license to kill it's <laughs> with words is crazy. Yeah. You have this license to, you know, to, to throw out these wise phrases and, and it's going to change people's lives. It's crazy. If, if God exists, as he says in the Bible, and if that whole perception of things, like it's it's possible to get a word from the Spirit, if mm-hmm. that is true, mm-hmm. then if, if those words come, they have power by themselves. They don't need your ego to prop them up. No. So the whole phenomenon of, of claiming to be speaking from the Spirit, to have to make that claim seems phony to me. Yeah, I think like more you'd stumble on. It. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it's trouble. It's a, like, it, oh, I it, didn't mean to say that. It, it to me, it's almost like you're almost like trying. You're almost like trying to quiet yourself to see if it's even possible that the spirit speaks to you. Well, if you're being honest with yourself, I think it's a healthy. It, way to to me, that's what people like. Why are they saying things to other people? Like they should be thinking about how close to, close to, uh, um. Like it's like a unicorn that God would speak to you, speak to you. Mm. Like in actuality, Pastor Shaw, I remember Pastor Shaw saying like, I can count on my hand how many times I've, I know God said something to me. I've never heard a pastor say that. Like that's not something pastors say. I, I mean, across the board in Christianity, I, I have not heard pastors say, I've close to never heard God say something. You know, close to another. I mean, if he's had... He's in his 60s. If he's had 60 years of life and 40 years of Christian living, in 40 years he can count on his hand five times. That's a very, that's a very refreshing thing to hear from me. And uh, and to me, that should be the thing that people are concentrating on. Like I have, so, there's so much noise in my mind. Is there a dialectic that could happen between me and God? 
Like, can I be spoken to by the spirit in some way? Is that huh. possible? And be looking for it, not being, not like thinking that you are, you know, that a thought in my mind must be God's thought. Like I would be critical about that almost to a fault. Right. And, and careful and going, going, like you're saying with a godly fear and then with other people to me, unless someone's doing something obviously morally egregious, you know, like how could I say, I know what's, what someone's supposed to be doing. Right. You know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in a situation. Half Maybe the time. that's the answer to my question. Yeah. Is that the reason I would speak into someone's life is because there's not enough healthy introspection in mind. That's exactly what I that was saying. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying. So yeah. like, I'm speaking into your life because I'm assuming that I'm of God. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we should really think about a lot and hard. Yeah. Like, am I really hearing, like, and I always do this thing where I zoom way out and go, the God who created, like, the solar system and the trees and my my hands and my feet. Like, is that consciousness bubbling into my consciousness? Because it almo- it's almost easy if God is, like, like you were saying, if if he's like, uh, would you say an incantation earlier? Right. If he, yeah. Like if I rub a bottle, like a genie, and he pops up and he goes like, "I am the God of the Bible. Like, what do you need from me? Just pray, and I'll give it to you." You know. Yeah. It's like that's almost easier to believe he's speaking because he's a genie, and I can rub the Bible and he pops out. Right. But if he's like the God who created the solar system, then I'm like, am I gonna really say with confidence the God who created the solar system? And the mountains and the trees, like, is speaking in my head right now. Yeah. That, to me, if you phrase it like that, it's sobering. Like, okay, well, maybe maybe that's not him, you know. Most likely, (laughs) the majority of people who claim that and really think that are not well. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, that's a very common delusion. Well, even prayer, like, I wrote on prayer in my paper recently, and I don't want to get too far off the track, but I said that I, I felt like some people claim old testament promises to israel about like if you call i'll answer and before you called i was listening and i'll give you these things i'll bless you whatever they kind of treat prayer like a like a magic lamp formulaic yeah yeah like like i will like god has promised they they'll take a promise from the old testament to israel maybe in captivity maybe you know whatever and they say he's going to answer and they rub the lamp and then god's supposed to answer Mm. And I, I find that to, to be a setup for disappointment and questioning the character of God. That's yeah. just the prosperity doctrine. That's all that is. Just wrapped into a spiritual Maybe, sphere. Or it's a lack of, of hermeneutics and like um It's definitely that. Like like a <laughs> well no, but I mean an approach to the scripture like Sam Harris was saying in the yeah. podcast, like a narcissistic mm-hmm. way of approaching scripture. Mm-hmm. Every verse applies to me, every yeah. verse. But I don't know, I was just thinking recently, like when I say God spoke or God gave me wisdom and I and I say it the way I just phrased it, like the one who created the solar system, the trees, and, and my my human brain and body. It's harder for me, a lot harder for me to say, oh yeah, that's the God who's speaking. It's easier for me to say the God of the evangelical Christianity who I rub my Bible and pops out spoke to me because yeah. he's almost not God. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. he's, he's like, I've kind of demoted him from who he really is into something confined theologically he's a system of concepts that you're adept at navigating yeah. right. so of course he can speak of dreams. course he can <laughs> yeah, yeah. he can speak because i created him i've got but a like on if, this puppy if yeah. he created all that and i'm just like a small speck in that then him speaking to me that's when what is man that you're mindful of him really sinks in mm. like what is man 
compared to a mountain, compared to a tree, compared right. to the sky. Right. And you're mindful of him. That should blow my mind and make me really like amazed. But instead, it's like, you know, I rub the Bible and God pops out and he, and he speaks clearly about what where I'm supposed to go, what job I'm supposed to have, what girl I'm supposed to marry. Like those are like, you know, and not saying he couldn't. And maybe there are people listening right. who prayed those things and God revealed those to you um, through signs or through you know, certain things. And I, I would never judge anybody who says that. I'm just yeah. saying for me, I'm realizing that a lot of times the God that I thought was speaking was like a God I kind of created in my own mind through certain like theological pathways mm-hmm. and not the God who created the solar system. There's this idea too, which I think is valid at, at face value and then a lot deeper that like sure God could speak to your human mind. He also gave you a conscience and that conscience should resonate a certain way if you're healthy mentally and spiritually. Um, and there's also like the spirit. It's possible that the spirit could give you like a particular concept, put it in your mind. That's entirely possible when that happens or if that happens is a totally different thing. But then there's like the idea that God has communicated something through scripture that I think that that is true. But if you have any kind of reverence for scripture, if you have any real reverence, not reverence like, well, it says it. So I have reverence like that. That's kind of like, <laughs> right. you know, okay, sure. But like it says it like in what way and relating to what and how do you know it relates to this thing yeah. in your life? And do you have any reverence really? Are you just looking for, you just looking for a point and click type of directive? Because if you have any reverence towards scripture, you're going to think you know a whole lot less real quick. And if he's communicating, you're going to think of it as a very sacred thing that you would very special special thing that he's spoken through scripture even like even like if even if there's a vague feeling of love that you're supposed to get from scripture you read the bible cover to cover and and god conveys like a a feeling of love that's in the face of other things that you come in contact with in scripture i mean there are things in scripture that are going to befuddle you and you're going to say, like, how could God do that if he loves? You're going to say that if you're honest and you have reverence to Scripture. If you actually think it's from God and you think he wanted you to read it, you're going to have a problem with certain things in Scripture, period. If you think, like, well, you know, these guys were just writing about God, then you could think, like, this stuff could just be complete BS, this part of it. And then the love stuff could be from God. But if you think Scripture could be, could be, like, God's, God's communication to me. I open it. I'm like, man, this could be God's communication to me. Then the paradox is if you come away with it with a sense of love or uh, with God's care for you in any way, if it outweighs the other stuff, like if that communication happens, that is evidence of a miracle. To me, it is. It's evidence of a miracle that you would be objective with scripture and then that that's what you would get so out of it. Are you saying, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. That God speaking would be more of a miracle than an everyday occurrence. Uh, I think that um, to a to a believer on a consistent basis, like is it an every not that you can judge someone else, but like in my mind, I think what you're saying is, you know, God speaking to me personally, mm-hmm. even in a small way, is a like is a miracle. It's not something I should. Yeah, Assume miracle rare or miracle m- miracle supernatural. Both. 
So not rare? You don't think rare? Well, uh, there's two ways of seeing it. Like God, I feel like God is quiet. I mean, in uh, we've discussed this. Like I feel like God is pretty quiet. Like if I am always talking to him, he's rarely talking to me. I could say I open the Bible and he's talking to me all the time. I could say it that way too. Not in the weird, cheap way. Like I just see, I just, you know, every verse like means all this stuff to me. But essentially the deeper I go, the more the more of that general feeling of God's involvement or God's care for me starts to emanate. So, so you're saying the narrative, I'm saying, the narrative ministers God's voice to you. Also the, the also the, um, you know, the, uh, the, um, the directives in scripture, I mean, to me contribute to this feeling of God's involvement with time and space. It's not so much like um, propositional, it's like I, I, I come away from the Bible with a, a few feelings very consistently that like that I don't know Jack, you know, that God is real and that and that God cares about me and cares about my life and that I can't just do whatever I want. Like God is watching, you know, I get I get these feelings and I feel like that's what you can get. God is always saying these things. He says it through his word. You can always get there where you're thinking about God in these like in the, you know, the way of like the the great other is always so there. What if you know? someone reads scripture and feels nothing of what you just described? I, I I'm saying I, it's I'm there sometimes. Possible. I don't feel I, anything. Yeah, I, I sometimes me too. I'm just saying like I think it's possible that you could step into a flow. Like okay, so you asked like, so so the thing was, I feel like God is quiet and I feel like God is always talking, and it's not because of my attitude. Like sometimes I'm. I'm really listening and I don't hear any, I hear no directives, you know, nothing. And then sometimes I, I like, I feel like I'm walking in a room where he's always been talking. You know, I feel like I've, I've stepped into a sphere where he's constantly communicating, not particular directives for like how I should do things, but just like he wants people to know, he wants us to feel loved or feel that we're in contact with him or feel you know, the, the wrath of bad decisions, you know, like sometimes I, I feel like I'm, oh snap, I can't believe like I've been doing this for so long and I haven't gotten smashed to a million pieces by life, you know, and I feel this like I've, like I've been rescued by this wisdom of like cut the crap, you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? And it's not so like, it's not so particular, you know, it's just, this general feeling of the way things are, a solidarity with reality. And I think that's always there if you want it. And I think that yeah. if you're looking for particular directives, you're never going to find that. This I, like I constant that's flow. That's what I meant by God speaking like yeah. that. Somebody would assume particular directives. You're going to hear silence. If you're honest with yourself, it's going to be it's going to be, you know, tumbleweeds and crickets. So when someone says, you know, God, the Spirit laid it on my heart to go here, to say this, to do this, that I can't judge that person. But for me, I don't really know what that feels like or looks like anymore. Like, I don't know if it means when I see the guy with the cup and he's asking for money. I don't know if that, like, warm feeling in my chest for another human who's hurting is the Spirit or if it's just... He's made in God's image, and I'm made in God's image, and that resonates with me. But but even unwittingly, like, what if it is the Spirit, but He's not being so particular? You know, like, you happen to place particular events and occurrences 
and directives on the spirits leading, but what if it's the general feeling of love and care and so it's altruism? It's not yeah, maybe the spirit speaking and these people, these precious people, right, are putting they're putting words to the spirit when actually they're getting feelings and notions and and do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they're, it's not it's unwittingly they're saying they're saying the spirit's telling me to go talk to this guy but it's really the fact that you're being moved with compassion by right. God's by God's love with zero directives. Your mind is saying there's a man, there's a man, you know, this man probably could be encouraged or like I see his I see his pain or whatever and your human mind and the spirit are having this dialectic you know how does it happen between the spirit and a human mind is it possible we ask that question and then how does it happen and is it like he told me and I got this phrase and it's possible some people get these crazy you know what were you gonna say Andrew pieces of info uh pastor Anderson taught a class a couple years ago in uh christian education actually mm. but he gave like a little mini devotion on um be not as the oxen ass that won't come near except for with bit and bridle but i will guide you with my eye it's what god said to israel it's in some prophet somewhere mm. like the idea is that people are looking for very specific guidance like a bridle like mm. to be yanked around. Yeah. But God is telling Israel in that passage, like, I want to just be able to look at you and we have an understanding. Mm. Mm. Wow. And That's pretty good. Yeah. That might be more what I'm thinking is, is like, yeah, like, am I looking at that guy and actually getting some kind of directive or is the spirit in me understanding the spirit in him like it's a mm. pause epistle yeah yeah like he has a spirit and i have a spirit he has pain and i have pain and i like want to help it sounds it's sounding like it's the posture we have towards people created by a value system that is like not of this world i guess as cheap as that phrase can yeah. be and it's like that a lot harder to you know Having a having a, a mental disposition and a posture towards people that really soaks into your subconscious and comes across as like your default mode of of relating to people, that's really the hard thing. Following yeah. direct instructions is not that hard. You can stay a terrible person. Yeah. Yeah. You can stay a bad believer, you can care zero about a person and just do what you're told and that's succeed a in a messenger's errand or a but so we're not saying, none of us here have said that it's impossible that people are receiving special information from God. I think it's uh, it's one of those things that is known to have happened. Yeah. But the vast majority of cases, I believe, people are making it up. <laughs> like and that's because the evidence you really have is that it's not happening in your mind. It's not happening in my mind, and... I know of less than a handful of cases with where people, you're really convinced with people I know mm -hmm. who I'm convinced that that yeah. was the case. Okay. And I think it, 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 we we're not saying it can't happen. Mm -hmm. no, nobody here believes that. It's that we should check we should check ourselves and the surety that we have that God is speaking and directing at all times, and especially when we relate to the public. Like if it's in your private life and you believe you have a walk with God and He's leading you then 
in, in a sense, that's between you and God. But when you start to make statements out loud from your lips to someone else's ears and those vibrations hit the airwaves that I'm hearing from God or the Spirit is speaking to me, it can be done with a pure heart. And I don't think most of the time it's not meant in a malicious way. Like, I want to lord over you and the Spirit's giving me authority. Maybe that is the case sometimes and we've seen you know, situations where that is the case. But I think most of the time it's said with a pure heart. Mm. I guess what I'm what I'm questioning is this the surety that I have. And I, I had someone ask me uh, the other night about this thing that went around Facebook about a woman who said God told her to buy bananas for a homeless guy. Do you remember this story? Yeah. It's so ridiculous. I don't even really want to repeat it. But <laughs> it was like something like she was trying to choose between buying the gentleman like some chicken or bananas and the voice in her head said get him bananas so she gives the homeless guy bananas and a lady in the parking lot walks up and says i have extra chicken do you know anyone who needs it and she was like saying like isn't god faithful to tell me to get bananas for the homeless guy knowing that somebody was coming on their way with like something more substantial like that to me is a very like to me it's a yeah. radical example i don't know a lot of people who talk like that mm-hmm. but but it was indicative of what we're saying like god spoke to me so personally so specifically and then i i look at something that could be coincidence and i interpret it as god's on, faithfulness on the other hand yeah while like, recognizing it could be the unicorn um <laughs> i mean maybe I'm, it's the unicorn. i'm starting to like this is very selfish of me i don't like feeling ugly about people so <laughs> When I see something like that and I think, okay, this person is pretty far down the rabbit hole. Like, they're, they really think that that's the way the universe works, right? But what, <laughs> on another level, what they're saying is, is, I felt moved to help another person. And I let my emotions dictate the details. Okay, so you felt like doing something nice. I can appreciate your person. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. <laughs> And, and maybe, like, maybe Dave's saying, maybe that woman really does have that much intimacy She might just be touched, yeah. She maybe. might be, like, the mystic lady in the yeah. village who everyone comes to for counsel. Yeah. I don't know. But, but it was asked to me from someone who's kind of in an agnostic place. Mm-hmm. And it was given as an example, like, do you believe Christians get talked to like this about bananas? And I was like... I mean, I guess it's possible, but I, I that story does not resonate with me. God doesn't tell me to buy bananas. What I what I do find sometimes is I will drive by someone, and their face won't leave me for five to ten minutes. I'll be driving. This happened the other night at Royal Farms. There's a guy by the red box, and I was driving, get doing an errand for my wife, and I see this guy's face in my head, and I'm like, I gotta go back and love that guy. He's hmm. sitting by the red box. He's freezing. Maybe he needs a sweater or like a coffee or whatever. So I don't know if that's the spirit, but I think when life beats on us enough, it gives us a posture towards suffering. And that posture is also, you know, uh, like God is breathing into that posture through the scriptures and through the value system and through the wisdom that, you know, we're saying exists. Mm. I think it's like a lot of things. I think wealth works kind of like this too. If suffering brings out, you know, a kinder disposition towards other people, it's because you were already headed in that direction. Suffering kind of hardens whatever it is about you in the first place. Mm. So if you're already kind of like hating life and people, 
you tend to go a little further in that direction when you yeah. hit suffering. And, you know, it, it makes you confront the reality of your own psyche. You know? And it, it makes us feel like decisions are weighty. Like, that's something that I think we miss when, when life gets too fine-tuned and determined. And when when everything is God's doing, I almost am not doing anything but like jumping in the car and putting a seatbelt on and he's like I'm like passive and God is active. And I think in a in a on a bigger scale God mm. is active and I'm kind of passive in a way. But in another way, there's like a weight to my decisions and yeah. taking some of the magic away makes me think about like my hands and what I do with my hands and my mind and my thoughts. This is this is full circle. So the magic thing to me is like the complete opposite of a well-placed psyche that understands the reality of the random in God's universe. Like a person that has incantations where he believes that God is involved in all things, literally literally everything is is in his meticulous care. Right. And my incantation of prayer invites, you know, God to be, you know, benevolent in my sphere even more than he has been or something. And where I I stop I I I push out the idea that there's anything random that happens to me. You know, like that's where I think it, things get really crazy, you know. And and I think that this is what the wise men are doing that Shla, that 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 uh, Slav, Slavoy is talking about. He's saying like this event happened to Job later and this is my second question maybe. We're coming for full circle before we close here is the, the next major portion that he talks about that, that caught me anyways was this thing on Job. He says, like, Job is the greatest, it's the greatest, like, um, uh, anti-ideological text in the ancient world is huh. the book of Job because you have this incredible calamity happen to Job. He loses everything. And then ideology steps in, Zizek says. Ideology steps in. And you've got these three friends with these takes. And these three people, like, not the three of them don't give the place for the random like they're mm. like they have to god have an god did this and it and there's a meaning for what's going on here and you need to you need to figure it out and like and there's there's no respect huh. for the random for god's universe that that could have a random occurrence and to me yes satan did it but satan is essentially a random occurrence like he's god's tool in the fact that god lets him run free and do what he wills but Satan is essentially crap happens to Job. <laughs> okay. And, you know, someone's got a will to destroy your life. Like, you know, so does a tornado. It not doesn't have a will, but the same effect happens, right? And God didn't do it. And he, he's saying, like, these people are trying to plug meaning in where they should have, they should be waiting to see if there's a great outcome or if there's, if there's something that can be learned from this or just consoling Job or, like, and uh, he says, like, he says, like, Job is convinced that he can't accept this calamity has any greater greater meaning. He's, like, not interested in, like, accepting that there's a greater meaning. He wants to talk to God of, like, of like why did you let this happen to me? Huh. Not, like, what's the meaning of this, Lord? Like, why did, you, why did you do this? Not, what is the meaning of it? Because what is the meaning is kind of a strange question. Right. You know? 
Are you, are you getting ready to raise me on a pedestal? Like, where does this fall in, in my narrative? Like, you know, how does, what does this mean? Like mean? what does it mean? Like, and God, God, you know, God says like, don't listen to these three idiots, you know? And then he, then Zizek, like he, uh, he invokes, uh, Chesterton. He says like Chesterton comes in and he doesn't give the normal reading of Job where God, you know, comes with this divine arrogance and says like, what are you doing? Questioning me and stand up. And he's like, Chesterton had a different take. Like God is saying like, how does he say, you think you're, I, I'll just read what he says. You think your life is a catastrophe. You look at all of creation. It's one great nightmare. I screwed up everything. God's confession <laughs> is it's all chaos. It's not only you, huh. you know, God decided that it would be this way, that t- tornadoes would form from weathered patterns and tornadoes rip crops up and throw houses across, you know, counties. Like it doesn't take God's doing. Like God made a sphere where this stuff happens on its own, you know, and don't, don't think of yourself in such a high way that like this calamity would be of greater meaning, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it, you, you could, you could read into everything as though the meticulous care of God is essentially like, you know, a, uh, something to be, um, um, curated. You know, well, I'm curi- I'm curating God's involvement in, in every moment of my life. Whereas really it could just be like God's view of your life is what's to be curated, curated, huh. not God's meticulous ordering of your life. It gives people comfort to think that this is a test or this is a promotion in disguise or this is a blessing in disguise or this has some... I think for really people, messed with me. Well, like, there, like there's a person I'm thinking of in my life who is super dear to me and... He's been crapped on a lot by life, and his his um, attitude is always like it's all kingdom, and uh, there's promotion, and like God is with me, and He's like taking care of me. And I, huh. but I that's think... all true, isn't it? Like because if you're if if the pain in your life, like Andrew was saying, if pain brings you towards being more altruistic or being more spiritually aware, but I don't think he means it in like a being conformed to Christ's image as much as like this is the plan this is the course for me and like this is part of the narrative but like, like were we saying. were saying earlier maybe it's unwittingly he's right you and know, he like, might be he, I'm just saying you because you were saying there doesn't have to be a meaning and I'm saying that I believe a lot of believers hold on to the fact that there's meaning in suffering but but of, I'm saying maybe they're right they just they're they're doing uh, they're taking one more step in terms of defining the narrative that they shouldn't okay what he's saying about like he says here um, uh, storytelling reveals meaning without committing the error of defining it right like my huh. story is real and the events in my life are real and they have real effects on me and the real effects on my emotions and I actually grow. So if you want to call that promotion, you want to call it kingdom. I mean, essentially, it's one and the same. That okay, God allows stuff to happen to you, and you and you happen to be open enough to wisdom to allow life to help you grow. You know, God has tenderized you, or however you want to say it. But but for these three men that come in and tell Job that what they're telling Job, like it's not kind. And like, it, it, what is in the mind of a truly wise man? Right. This is my second question. My first one was like, what is Zizek saying wisdom really is? Do we agree with that? What do we want to say about it? And we did. Right. But the second question, we can just 
we can do it next time or could, we can just wrap it up here but I'd is like to think about your next question for a yeah, little while we'll, yeah we'll do it next time so back. the second question is like these three friends are here and we've talked about what we think real wisdom could be the aggregate the aggregate of skillful understanding of life right and all the manifold nature of like having different takes that could help me right so like then these three guys come in and they're and they're plugging they're plugging ideologies and god is not interested in them He's not interested in their ideologies. And those things are not, what is missing? What is missing in the mind of a wise man in regards to that? And what is present in the mind of a truly wise man if there is one? So <clears throat> like, does a truly wise man, what is what is he concentrating on? What What is in the mind of someone who's moved in wisdom to proclaim something? Like, what is there in his mind? You know, what governs him? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that maybe is the question. Like, what, what was not governing these three friends? And, and what, what should have governed what them? What should have governed them? You know, and what we're saying, like, Zizek, I don't think you need to throw out the word wisdom. You just need to say that there's cheap wisdom. There's the claim to an overarching you know, application of wisdom, which is garbage. And it almost, it almost betrays wisdom in itself, right? If wisdom exists, it betrays it. Like that thing is maybe a wise saying, but when you say it's the wise saying, you betray it because it loses its, the ability to be applied in a particular moment. You're saying like, well, it applies to every moment. So it loses for the particular moment, you know, anyways. It reminds me of the opening of the uh, Tao Te Ching. So the way which can be named is not the true way. Yeah. It's like a mystical, perhaps a little BS sounding, but I think there's something there. Yeah. Like once you once you once you grab it, you don't have it. I think you're right. Not that I have attained. Like I haven't attained. Once you grab it. How did you say that? You don't have it. Well, I think that that's probably good for today. So we'll, we'll uh, when we come back to it, we'll talk about what's in the mind of a wise man. And I, I also wanted to talk about what we did before the podcast. We'll bring it up now and then we'll go into it in detail again. Like um, if you have two ways of looking at the same thing, is balance is balance in the mind of a wise man? Like, is that one of the things that's in the mind? Maybe it's not the focus is not balance because that's essentially impersonal and wisdom is essentially personal or it should be. But like, I want to talk about balance. Like I have this way of looking. We talked about it, that book, and we'll talk about it again, that book uh, about having tough conversations. My friend was talking about this book he was reading, having tough conversations and, and I, and, and how like, this is like, it was almost like a, a philosophy of life that I can't be afraid to have tough conversations. And I appreciate that notion, but I was giving like a, I was just giving a balance to it and it wasn't being received. So we could talk about that and we'll start off on that maybe because it's getting late. It certainly is. For real, for real. So thanks everybody for listening and uh, we hope you enjoyed our conversation. If any of it was like more difficult than you, uh, than you, expected it to be um it's just kind of we're just kind of being 
just kind of being uh, authentic and being ourselves and thinking through this stuff. And this guy is a very controversial person, so it, he's he's got an edgy take. You heard it in uh, you know in the clip at the beginning of the show. Um, please uh, you know sign on to the web page and and respond to the blogs and and you're welcome to you know Give hit us, us up on Twitter and all that stuff. Give, Give us, us some feedback, feedback. And if there's something you want to hear us discuss. We would love to uh, discuss it. We can't offer you any wisdom, but we can give it a shot and have a conversation. We can talk about wisdom. <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks for thanks for listening.